Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Pandora podcast. I am Dr. Katie, and I'm joined here with Dr. Kevin. And we are here to discuss another interesting topic that just randomly came up. Of course, that is kind of what happens with our random conversations that I think can be a benefit to the listeners, whether you are someone who's in during challenges with their health, uh, especially in pain, or those that are helping those that have their own chronic health challenges uh, or just persistent pain. So today we are going to chime in where we started talking already before the recording um, about, actually I'll let you introduce it, uh, what the topic was, because uh, you have a pretty strong uh, feeling about some things and I think it'd be good to hear. Me having strong feelings about things? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's shocking. Um, I, I don't know exactly how would you, how would you call this topic? Would would screening? But uh, but it's not just it's screening. It's interventions, I guess. Ordering. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess and you can think about it is if you're a clinician ordering interventions, or if you're a consumer asking for interventions, and um, and to put that into some context is. And specifically around interventions that the, the research and data are pretty limited or in some situations are, are counterverse what, to what people tend to want to do. And, and this comes up because of all the screening stuff. So we were talking a little bit about like heart scan, which uh, I haven't seen it as advertised as much as it was, but people, oh, come in and get your cardiac, cardiac score and we're going to look for calcium in your heart by using the CT scan. We're going to irradiate you and then basically look for calcium in your heart. Um, but it also tips into things such as even mammography, um, uh, screening colonoscopies, PSAs, um, and you know pr prostate-specific antigen for people who are worried about um, prostate cancer. Um, and then that still blurs in, in, into things like wanting an x-ray if you have back pain. And the, the reason that I think this topic is so crucial is because what we think will help us or make us feel better and you start looking at the actual data doesn't. And so then we start really getting into what I, I find absolutely fascinating about it. Pain, pain for sure, but like life is the difference between what psych, our psychological reality is and what actually is real. And, and meaning is we have this idea, well, okay, if I go in and um, I have back pain, the x-ray is gonna make me feel better. Or in the way this conversation led on is if you're a physician and we know over and over and over again for about 40 plus years now that imaging in low back pain is overutilized. But, the, but we tend to say, well, I know that's what the data says. Oh, those eggheads in the ivory towers, they don't know what they're talking about. In the trenches, I order it and it makes my patients feel better. And that's okay to start, but especially if you're a clinician, the next question you should be was, but am I sure what does the research say? And, and the reason for that is because we have this perception that if I just get an x-ray of somebody who has nonspecific low back pain, knowing I know it's inappropriate, but I'm doing it because supposedly it makes my patients feel better, that kind of idea 
seems to make a lot of sense. But then when you look at the research, it falls apart because people have actually studied it, which is the whole, we have this magic, you know, PubMed, go in there and you Google these questions. You have a question, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this. Go and Google it and, and see what people have already researched about it and then start digging in the research. Um, and what has been shown is that the, all these are these arguments that we have. Well, I'm, I get the x-ray to make them feel better. Well, that's not true. I get the people makes, makes them feel less anxious. Well, that doesn't seem to be true. And again, we're looking at, at, a, at a multiple factors, not, not anecdotal stories, but actually over, over published research. Why is that? You know, there's, there's many different reasons for it, uh, which I guess I don't want to bleed into that right now, but um, I just, I just practicing, you would, you, the way you practice and the way that you should seek care should be supported by evidence, not counter to the evidence, at least in my opinion. Um, I've talked a whole bunch, but we, I mean, yeah. there's a whole bunch there. there. I mean, there's a whole bunch there that can go into. Right. And, and then I guess, you know, depending on which studies you're looking at and what kind of patients, I mean, I think it, it's hard to, um, there's always that occasional once, you know, once in a blue moon, a, 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 a rare, a something unique that we could probably qualify to go against what the general evidence is. I would say that there might be that rare situation and you may disagree with that but i feel like there it, there is that that gray area where people will try to just say well it makes them feel better and yet that's not what the evidence is saying maybe at that moment when the patient's demanding it and you want to make them happy for that second um, because it's hard to have the conversation the next 10 minutes to explain why you shouldn't have it it's just easier to order it um, but i think there's probably that very rare patient that doesn't really fit the type of parameters of the patients that were in those studies. Um, that would be well, my counter. Well, I, I would just say, that, so if you're looking at, so like, let's look at screen, like mammography, right? Yeah. So there is a subset of people that mammography seems to make sense who are at an extraordinarily high risk of breast cancer. And so that specific population then, then we look at what the evidence and data supports in them. Right. Okay. But when you're looking at overall, and, and, and um, I don't think you said this, but this, I wanna, this, is, this is something I can hear people thinking is, well, I know the evidence doesn't support it, but I got my, um, my, my PSA, my prostate-specific antigen, and they found out that I had prostate cancer, and then I had my prostate removed and a radical prostatectomy. That doctor saved my life, right? And people, and people use this stuff. These, these, so I know I shouldn't have done it, but we found this stuff out of the blue moon. The, the problem with that is when we start looking at pro, like some of these cancers. Mm -hmm. So we all have cancerous processes going in our body all the time. Right. And our body has an innate ability with natural killer cells and things to go kill them off. Yeah. And so many times with early intervention, we may have, we, we have merely intervened in a problem that never exists. So someone has low-grade prostate cancer and they're 70 years old, that could have been low-grade prostate cancer until they're 100 years old. They wouldn't have died from it. But then we go on with radical prostatectomy, which I think most of them are doing, I think most of them are being robotic, which is not nearly as bad as the opens were. Um, but those are not benign procedures. And um, I mean, it just, it just blows my mind though, because I see this stuff when people start talking about, hey, we shouldn't be ordering this. And then people use these personal anecdotes of it saved my life. And I'm like, well, actually, you can't say that. The only way we can actually say that in not even a definitive way, but a way that actually has some gravitas to it is when we start researching the outcome data. And um, but, 
but doctors do it all the time. So, so here's, here's the case. Well, here's the case after a little anecdote here. So the first, first part is we tend to see these high trauma or really great stories. Like I didn't, I walked in and um, I should never have had this done, but they did this procedure and they found, I don't know, some horrible demon gremlin living in my spine that no, it was totally just a fluke chance. And because of that, maybe it did. Like maybe you walked in and they, someone scanned your head for no reason. They found like a big glioblast, glioblastoma in there. Right. Something's going to kill you. Yeah. But what we don't hear are the 20 other people that walked in, got the same thing with the same, absolutely no symptoms. And then were substantially harmed by the procedures that were done. And, um, Part of this has to do with what's, what's called a prevention versus a promotion focused kind of activity. And you would think that healthcare is supposed to be this kind of promotion or prevention mentality, but in a prevention, a prevention sort of mindset, the things that are, um, that you look for and that you're most concerned about are, are errors of commission, meaning you're doing something, then you're causing harm. And that would be great. But in healthcare, what we actually have is a promotion-based mindset. And the, and the error for a promotion-based mindset is errors of omission. So if you do something that causes harm, that is not as big a deal as, do, as doing nothing in missing something. And yet when you look at healthcare, healthcare and how we are so, everything needs an intervention. Everything, we have to cut you, we have to poke you, we have to drug you. We have to do, we have to do something for everything but we tend to not see all the harms that are caused with intervention. And instead we focus on really the, the, the few episodes where there has been substantial harm when something was missed. Um, and that comes up over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's, um, you know, as an example, I, I resisted and I had multiple discussions <laughs> And uh, not, I wouldn't say heated arguments, but a little tension um, with my own physician because for years she kept wanting me to get a mammogram um, and there was no history of any breast cancer in the family. Yes, there are people that without a history of breast cancer, there's always gonna be that first one, mm -hmm. you know, and yes, do we live in an environment that probably has more toxins than from a hundred years ago? Probably. Um, but how that impacts us and, you know, at what point is that, um, enough to overpower the amazing system we have that helps with, you know, getting rid of the bad cells. Um, hard to like find that, that uh, meter in you anywhere. It's just, um, there's always balances of different forces going on. But, um, you know, I resisted for several years and she just got to the point where she's like, okay, fine. What year are you willing, how old are you, how old do you need to be for you to finally get one done? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll consider it, you know, at 45, maybe. Um, and the only reason I've had one done, which was fine, um, was because in order for me to get something else done, I had to get that done. Or it was, it's kind of like when you work as a, an employee at a hospital and you have to have the flu vaccine and, you know, everyone has their own opinion about it. I would have to say that it's not as... Um, effective as in, in different years it can be less effective for different viruses it's always changing and they're assessing it the year before and uh, people can comment below if and i'm sure there's plenty of people want to say something about that but um you know 
there's it's not a hundred percent they never check to see if you have the antibodies to the thing that you're trying to find. like there's not a, a perfect herd immunity which is you know trying to cover the whole population the best they can so it doesn't get through um that's a very simplified <laughs> definition um but you know to really capture everyone to get them all immunized that's you know um, when it doesn't even affect all the viruses it's not a perfect vaccine is how i feel about it so um can flu kill people yes um but uh i'm one of those people that i it's it's not a priority but interestingly some people can't even be employed at a place i don't know if this is going to change i haven't looked at the rules but if you don't have this flu vaccine you can't work there at some places will tell you to wear a mask all the time which in my anesthesia work you're doing it most of the time anyway um but that dilemma was difficult to to deal with because it's kind of like if you don't do this then you can't do this um but uh you know i would have to say the one thing that's preventive that i feel like and i'd like to hear your take on it is that i do feel like and i equate it to gardening just give me a second on this but <laughs> colonoscopies not necessarily egds but colonoscopies i feel like especially because of the cancers that i have seen in patients and just the immense difficulty in treating them when they go big and go bad is that it's better to get a weed when it's little <laughs> than to wait for it to take root and spread um so for for me to encourage colonoscopies of course i feel like it's the one place where a prevention they can snip it biopsy it get rid of it grab it um and it's something that you know there's changing recommendations on i'm not going to get into that but it's they're starting to start to probably move it to earlier but i feel like that's a one prevention kind of thing that you can do this from the medical system that for the most part the risks are fairly low um anesthesia wise um and the procedure but there are bad things that can happen from that too so um of all the things out there i feel like most strongly about that particular one i'm not gonna berate anybody if they want to wait till they're 55 or but once it might be good to see a baseline make sure there's nothing growing and get it when it's little um and you can make decisions with your own physician on how how much time between them but um, it does get ridiculous if people are getting colonoscopies at 90 years old unless there's you know symptoms of concern um, that they need to go in there but just for general screening that doesn't make any sense either because if you look at the outcomes and the data you know it, from a life expectancy versus benefit and risk it doesn't make sense but what do you think about colonoscopies well that's why I was, I was i was looking up um so a really great website is in Europe and it's called the Harding Center for Risk Literacy. And what they have, and I was, I wanted to test there and see what they were saying on, on colonoscopy because it, it, this screening is always kind of interesting. And, and that Harding Center is always fascinating to me because they have this thing where they actually can publish it. They, they publish it in, in ways that, that sort of make sense. Right. They don't just throw out numbers and they have these things called fact boxes and they'll show like a hundred circles and each circle represents one person. And then they'll say for every red dot that was saved by screening, there's 10 dots of all the potential yep. harms or whatever. And, and colonoscopy is a tougher one because the, the tests that they have uh, the data on are sigmoidoscopies, mm. fecal occult blood. And um, I don't think, I still don't think they have colonoscopy in there per se. Flexigs. 
but yeah, yeah, so they have, uh, uh, sigmoid endoscopy in women, and they have one for men, and then they have a fecal occult blood. And um, from those, the data isn't good. Like, it doesn't really demonstrate. Uh, for others, I, I would agree, you know, it, we, we can use that argument about snipping it at the bud for anything, right? Because that's the same argument people use for PSA, sure. prostate-specific antigen saying, well, there's cancer in there, I should just have the prostate removed, except they don't understand that there's low grade and high grade, and really right. the concern is the high grade. Um, breast cancer, another one. So how many, how many lumps are being taken out that may have been benign or at least indolent or, or low growing? Um, so I would say for colonoscopy, again, I would look at specific family history, specific symptomatology, and then I personally would not even consider it until I was 50 plus. Mm-hmm. And then if I had it done and that there was no uh, polyps or anything, it would be probably at least 10 years before I would ever get another one. Right. Uh, that's how I feel too. And that's the way. The Part of that is being a healthcare provider though, because for others, so locally here, I have a friend who's, um, well, so I know some gastroenterologists who have mm-hmm. seen some charts of people that maybe have retired from practice. And their patients, once they got on the screening bandwagon, were getting screening colonoscopies every two years mm. and being told that how important that was. And, um, and, and so from, from anecdotes for me, I'm always remembering the patient of one of my preceptors when I was in medical school who sent his 67-year-old patient off for a screening colonoscopy and they perfed the colon and she died. Yep. So, um, so that, that's a long way to say is, yes, I agree but I would probably push it up into the range that we're really looking at. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about, the, the, there's, there's some things about cancer that, that really, and I'm in no way, shape or fame or cancer extra, right? That, so, so if we were really, if we, if we had planned this, if I, if we planned this episode, I probably wouldn't want to go and delve into the literature a bit more. Um, but there, it seems like what we're really good at is, is finding abnormal cells. But what we aren't good at yet is detecting the ones that are troublesome, meaning the ones that become aggressive. Um, and that I think is is where we need to be focusing on rather than just root screening or whatever. Like if like some of these things, prostate prostate specific antigen PSAs have just been there's there's a multi billion dollar industry built around that. And the guy who actually came up with the test says you shouldn't be doing this. You're completely bastardizing the data. Um, but once you have that entrenched system built around a test that sounds really good, oh my, who else, who would want to, you know, I obviously want to see if I have cancer and prevent it. I know I, that would be crazy not to do it. But without that big picture thing, um, it's just the amount of harm that we have caused with this stuff is, is certainly underreporting. It's not appreciated because it doesn't make the great story like, oh, Joe, didn't get his PSA screening or the insurance company denied it saying that it wasn't appropriate for his age. And then he ended up with fulminant prostate cancer and died. Um, so anyway, it's, I think it's a, it's, it's a wrestle with human psychology. Right. And I think overall in the healthcare system specifically, we do a pretty poor job of first even comprehending the psychology and second of actually uh, appreciating it and then being willing to challenge our own kind of innate biases when it comes to this stuff. Right. I think, you know, it's all on that. Even if you got a little bit of information, it's that context that you put it in and with a very 
very limited medical background or none at all with the general public, it's really hard to see that, um, especially when it's just you as an individual and you see a mass. I mean, to you, everything looks more significant because you don't have any reference points. And so it's easier to make, you know, these, these kind of, um, you know, rash decisions that end up, you know, doing a lot of things that could harm them. And, and yes, that example you gave of, you know, oh, this surgeon saved me. I mean, they could be a great person as a surgeon and, a, and very skilled, but if they can believe that they could even believe that the surgeon right. may actually believe that. Yeah. But, and, and they're actually thinking, you know, it, it's, it's hard, it's hard to prove to the patient who's already believed in that person that was skilled and believed in that process and, you know, received the surgery. I mean, there's nothing else for them to believe. They don't want to believe the opposite. I mean, most people are not going to want to believe the opposite unless something bad happened and someone else stepped in and said this was not necessary. Then there might be that, despite the anger, there might be that thought that maybe this, you know, this wasn't a necessary thing. But if everything goes through, you know, with flying colors, so to speak, it's, it's hard for you to even negate that. I mean, and approve that to that patient. I well, think that it's true. And that, that even adds into this, the, the healthcare system issue, because you have, we as a system and particularly in the United States with the way our medical legal system is set up is in such a way that we get punished more for errors of omission than for errors of commission. Meaning we get, if we, if we, someone ends up getting cancer again, because that stuff happens, we are more likely to get sued because it was missed rather than to take out somebody's prostate that doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be removed. Right. So there's one, that's a problem right there. We're also paid to remove the prostate or do the screening colonoscopy or do the whatever. So there's an incentive, there's a cost-based incentive to do that. And we actually, it harms our income to not to do that procedure. So now we have a second incentive to go with bad care. And- um, There's a third one. <laughs> if there's a complication, oh. the insurance will probably pay for the additional surgery to deal with the complication. Yeah. Yeah, so so we're we're all we're incentivized to do so we're not incentivized to actually do good care, um, but but the human bias part with that is can this be fixed? I'm I not in the current way that we have. So I think things are going to change. I, I think if I was looking like pie in the sky and and people you can castigate me and totally get mad at me or or whatever, but the I, I think what will ultimately happen is, is is AI, artificial intelligence, and screening algorithms start getting better. Um, what we'll eventually see is they're going to make the decisions, and people are going to be lamenting and and wailing, and and I would make the bet and I would put a, put a substantial wager on it that if once we have got to that point where the screening decisions are made by an artificial intelligence that has and can compute way more data than we can without the human biases that we have to come up with an ultimate decision, I think the care will be better. And then people say, well, what, well, the, what, what about the doctor's role? Well, the doctor's role is actually to put the human em em emphasis on that and to be able to have those discussions on what to do next and how to do it. Grant, that's a different skill set. Right. You know, that's a much more communication skill set. That's a much more of a, a of a coaching facilitation relationship. Um, but there's a there's still a place for it. But I I I 
I can't, did we, we may have talked about this previously, but I'm, I am firmly convinced when it comes to a lot of these decisions, AI will make a better one than us. Um, and that's just because I can't, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been in large work groups, task forces, uh, I mean, funding decisions, and to have people say, well, I know what the data says, but it's, it, but it's different for me. And I mean, by, by that very statement, you're ignoring your own human biases. You're not even aware of your human biases. And if you're not aware of them, you can't correct it. You can't even attempt to correct it. And what has been, I think, demonstrated over and over again, I'm thinking of books like Thinking Fast and Slow by Dan, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, Thinking Fast and fast. Slow uh -huh. by uh, Daniel Kahneman is um, even when you're aware of the bias, you're still at risk of following the bias because they're <laughs> inherent biases. So which is it's like where our conversation started. <laughs> which is where it just started. So, and, so, and it's hard to do to kind of check your biases all the time. Yeah. Um, and, but I, and I don't think there's a lot of people do. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I, you know, because we're humans and it's hard and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable and then people get mad at you and things like that. But I, I do think when we start having technology, like, you know, this is, this is sort of going off, off, off the main topic here, sure. but everybody is like, I want my new Apple watch that'll do this. Or I, 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 there, there's all this gold rush for wearable health tech to do all these things to find, let's find you, let's find a, a aberrant heartbeats in 15 year olds. And it's like, well, it, probably all of us had this stuff for forever and nobody has been able to see it. So we've never paid attention to it. So it's never been an issue. And, and if, and again, most of the time it hasn't been an issue. Um, so that's a, like a downside of tech, but the things that people, well, they're gonna, AI is gonna take my job or AI is making these decisions when it comes to um, radiography and screening and all that stuff, and it's so horrible. Well, actually the data is pretty good there. <laughs> and, yet, and yet that, it threatens people, I think, because for some reason they think it's this cold and feeling robot and it's got, not gonna make the right decision for them, but it's actually gonna make a better decision for them because it was, removes that human element. Right. And, you know, in an, in essence, before even computers, I mean, physicians, part of their job was to try to extrapolate data and put it together to try to then introduce it into the human element. And of course, there are biases along the way. But in essence, you need to collate data and have some type of output of the information. So whether AI does it or not, um, it has to be done and you're just trying to eliminate the bias. I mean, that's kind of how I'm perceiving it. Um, and then integrate it into that human beings situation. Um, that makes a lot of sense. The, the last topic I was thinking of touching on was um, this idea of, yes, there's all these screenings out there and they, they push them and the frequencies probably more than, you know, for most people uh, more frequent than necessary. But I, I do think that it's it's kind of like I'll, I'll equate it um, to like blood pressure. One blood pressure reading doesn't give me like a full picture. It doesn't give me an idea. The, to me, what's more important is trends. Like people that are in the ICU, like what they want to know, they want to know the trends, not just one particular blood pressure point because it's changing as many people don't realize, <laughs> um, which I've always been surprised, is this dynamic nature of the blood pressure and how speaking of if you're in pain or you feel threatened your heart rate and your blood pressure go up i mean it's it's reflective of a situation so i i use that as an example because like when you're doing imaging sometimes imaging a lot of times 
people don't realize they're getting an image and they're making a decision on one time, not even knowing, say for instance, back pain, that the abnormalities were there 10 years ago when you didn't have pain, but you don't have a comparison. So my point of this is that to me, I think imaging in the right context is either used for a baseline for assessment for trends, if it's something that's a chronic thing, um, what is, what's your take on that, that there could be a reasonable without increased unnecessary frequency, but that it has more benefit from a, um, you know, just a trend assessment? So I think it makes sense if you're getting a baseline, if there's an active intervention to create change. Yeah, like aorta. Let's say the aorta is really large and you want to see if it's getting big or if it's really just being steady over five years. So you're talking like an aortic dissection. Yeah, or someone is just like they have an like say if they have a large aorta, it's like four centimeters. I mean, I don't have the exact data on the centimeters, but it's lar maybe it's larger than normal. It's like gotten to five centimeters. You want to know if it's stable or if it's getting progressively worse and could be at risk for rupture. Well, and um, it's been a while since I looked at this stuff. If, if for, for an yeah. abdominal aorta, if I'm remembering correctly, if it's greater than five centimeters, then then intervention there has been demonstrated to improve survivability versus observ observation because they're more likely to burst at that time. Not maybe changing because now they're doing all this yeah. weird stinting stuff. Yeah. But um, on on the but we still have to consider what's the risk of 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 the screening and typical screening. I guess they've been using. They were using ultrasound, I believe, to do the screening. But I'm, if, if you're looking at therosic, so you're up in your chest, and I have actually have a friend that this occurred to, if you have, say, a dissection or a widening of your aorta up there, the data is, nobody really knows what the data is. Mm -hmm. um, we know it's not necessarily a great thing to have. But the screening for that comes into CT scans, which now you're getting irradiated. And every time you get out of radiation, now you have a risk of complications associated with it. Right. So um, that I think is really, really hard. And I think that the, it, it, when you're working in the area of no data, um, I, I think personally, I would still be the less invasive person. Yep. Uh, and that's just me because I my bias is I have seen what occurs in the medical system. Right. So I've seen people, so people who've had thoracic aneurysm repair. And we do, and we do this with a lot of different surgeries. Well, so we'll come back in a year and see me. Well, for a lot of those follow-up visits, I have not seen data that says that these follow-ups are doing anything other than making, I don't know, having a, a visit with the early person. Um, but I do know that when you, you have some of these surgeries, then they say, well, now we're gonna we're gonna do a screening CT after you've already had the problem fixed to make sure that it doesn't come back again, which in some ways is kind of, I, I could see maybe one post-op, maybe two post-op, but the guy I'm thinking of ended up getting them um, either yearly or bi-yearly and ended up with lymphoma mm. because someone, and it sounds great. Oh, I had this big operation. I better go and have this every year. Not, and, 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 and that leads into that we've talked about multiple times is, is, is understanding the inherent capability of the body to heal. Yeah that anytime we're going in with intervention, if we're going to go in that intervention, sure, we do the, the post-op follow-up and want to make sure it's healing well. But yeah. once we've seen it healing well, step back, man, just get out of there and let the body do its thing rather than to, than to completely distrust it and then keep hammering it. <laughs> and keep hammering again with all this stuff that, that is harmful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I am the first person to, um, other than a couple things that we talked about in this conversation. Um, I, I think that I'm most supportive within my own life. Um, and I do have the bias of the body's amazing and healing. Um, I want to limit the interventions and I, and I'm not, whoever's listening to this, we're not telling you what to do because it is your body. Um, and everyone's situation is unique, but in general, the system is, is promoting and pushing more interventions or imaging or screening than may be necessary for most people. Um, and I think Dr. Kevin and I agree on that, but for me, I think, uh, once I get that initial check, I'm, I feel I feel very compelled to push off for as long as possible any other assessment or screening, um, unless I have symptoms and I have things that, you know, I have legit concerns. Um, but I'm, I am, it's really hard for me to stick to just a, a number that's given out there that, okay, if I miss this date, I'm in trouble. Like I don't, I don't go by that. I'm not that black and white and rigid with it. So um, once in a while, you know, have a colonoscopy for me. I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking along your lines too. <laughs> once, I'm like, once, once, in a, once a decade sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but, okay. GI but, friends and doctors are going to probably like be mad at me for saying that, but that's, that's I think the good point. ones would say the same thing. What's that? You know, I think the good ones would say the same thing. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 you know, I, I think there's, there are some, there's some good people. I, I think that it becomes more difficult to maintain that goodness when there's all these host of things to, when a patient's saying, I want it. And you're like, you don't need this. You really shouldn't have it, you know? And then you have the buy you, that you get paid to do it. Then you don't have an incentive to not do it. But, right. um, you know, like, like screening colonoscopy is a big one. So for me, I'd, I'd probably wait until 50. Yeah. If it was normal, I would not get another one for at least a decade unless some weird symptomatology that would necessitate a new workup came up. Yeah. And then I, so, and then realistically, if I was 70, I probably would never have another one again after that. Yep. So, uh, I should, and maybe have two or three yep. in my life ever, yep. you know, if, you know, so anyway. Sounds, sounds like you and I are, are kind of on the same path, although I might just be five years ahead of you, um, you know, because I met my deductible at the time, you know, it's, it's that game, that whole game you play, it's like, okay, it's going to be covered by insurance at the end of the year, you might as well just get it done. Um, and I did, you know, so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm good till 55, right? <laughs> as far as what I, I would be willing to do, not necessarily what my doctors would suggest I do. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to fit 50 before I make that decision too, because I, I um. You know, my my biases are are definitely I, I, I just see the risks associated with the system right uh, it, so it's very very difficult for me to even I mean I'd be like I start to look at the release research again is there anything new is there anything new because my I'm, I'm I would definitely be a stand pre, stand back and do nothing <laughs> if, yeah. if it's in any way shape or form yeah well but, to uh, I give props to my primary doctor who was like, okay, you don't need to get a heart saver. You, you don't have any of the risk factors. Da, da, da. And I was like, well, I'm trying to make my husband go get it. And I would just, if I go with him and I'll just do it with him and do it as a, you know, like it's a, it's a wee thing. <laughs> so that was, she was like, okay. Um, and I, you know, I don't plan ever getting again. It was just one of those, you know, just see if it's like nasty in there, which I doubted. Um, but, uh, you know, so, you know, it wasn't necessarily a choice that was really a smart one uh, or necessary one. It was but one it's of the a human one. 
I would it was say a human curiosity one. It's a human, um, which is, and that's where we get into problems. Yeah. And I, I, I guess so. So a takeaway for people who may be watching this is uh, one easy thing to do, and this is you can actually ask your physician about if they're talking about doing any sort of screening intervention, is uh, they are getting worked up, and they like worked up meaning you're going in and you have a problem, and they want to order all this test or whatever. The the key question to ask is what would would the evidence from this procedure from this lab work or whatever change what we're going to do next and if the answer is no or returning to like basic healthy lifestyle then you don't need it um and you would think that's common sense but it's not because there are people who order 45 different tests just to just to confirm the thing that they are going to treat you for anyway and i've actually seen them order 45 different tests and then say well we're just going to treat you for this thing anyway even though the tests aren't there because maybe it's there anyway so was, why the hell did you order 45 different tests yeah so anyway that that's just the way it, it would it change what you're going to do next then you consider it if it's not going to change anything don't do it it'll help change uh, or increase the deposit for the people making money off of it that's about all <laughs> oh yeah 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 that, that's definitely it we that's a that's the huge bias right there is the money bias right so. right okay well i guess this uh will be our closing for today's pandora podcast thank you dr kevin for joining me again on a uh interesting diversion on multiple health topics that always seem to tie into pain in some way, some fashion or another. Uh, but really, we we'll want to give people inspiration, education, and as the, you know, Pandora's box we talked about in our first episode, uh, ultimately give people hope and a little bit of direction and hopefully make better decisions for themselves and their family that they love. And until next time, go ahead and conclude, Dr. Kevin. <laughs> I say next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Pandora podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.